you've got intelligent questions, and I certainly hope I've got intelligent answers. This is the Veteran Wargamer. Jay Arnold. In this episode, episode 63, I am answering questions from you, the listener. Well, I'm recording on August 31st, 2020. Uh, in the next couple weeks, I uh, can't tell you exactly when, I just know it's coming up. It will be the fourth anniversary of the start of the Veteran Wargamer podcast. And I probably at one point thought I'd have more episodes out by now. Things have happened. Uh, Long-time listeners will recall that I used to have a pretty regular release schedule every two weeks, and that has become increasingly infrequent and sporadic, to say the least. Um, I had a recent spasm of productivity where I released three episodes in the span of eight days, and I don't think I'll do that again because that was pretty frantic. So to celebrate not only four years, but also passing 70,000 listens or downloads or whatever metric you want to, or whatever you want to call that metric, I figured I'd have a question and answer episode. So I put it on Twitter, put it on Facebook, you know, if you've got any questions, let me know and we'll see about answering. Now, some of you are obviously fans of Henry Hyde and his battle chat because you have taken <laughs> you have taken liberties with the questions to the point where oh gosh let's see here's the first entrant has seven questions <laughs> so let's let's bash on as they say first up is John Yingling friend of the show uh, he was recently on he was recently on a Naval Wargaming episode I had. Check that out. Link will be in the show notes. Uh, John asked via Twitter, where he is at basement underscore games, what are the projects you want to start but haven't? Um, oh, there's a bunch. I just tweeted about a War of the Roses thing that I think would be pretty cool. Uh, do kind of street fighting uh, in the Battle of St. Albans. I think that'd be pretty neat. Um, I would like to do World War II in the Pacific. Uh, infantry actions primarily in the Philippines in 45. Um, my unit, well, my current and my previous unit, uh, were the 129th and the 130th Infantry Regiments fought in the Philippines uh, during World War II with the 33rd Infantry Division. So they got that going for them. Um, let's see, some other, I mean, there's, there's tons of projects, there's, uh, ACW project that I've been meaning to get off the ground with my brother Chris, um, and I've bought figures for that, and I've been doing some reading, but just haven't really, I've done a little bit of painting, but nothing to really consider that I've started. Moving on, uh, who do you want on your show, living or dead? Um, I can't, I was recently on a vidcast with Matt Schreiber, Rocky's War Room, and uh, 
he asked the same question. I think Rick Priestley would be great to have on the show. Uh, Rick, if you're listening, I'll drop me a line. If not, well, I'll drop you a line after a while, I guess. Um, and I'd, I'd want to talk all about uh, Old Hammer. I'd love to have Paul Bonner, the artist, on. Uh, the Perry Twins, I think, would be great to have on. Uh, they've been on some other podcasts, and they were great on it. A lot of fun. Um, well, Richard Borg. I'd love to have Richard Borg on the show to talk commands and colors, of course. Um, anybody that follows my Twitter feed knows that a, too much of my content is <laughs> retreat retweets of commands and colors stuff so now a dead personality that i'd like to have on the podcast it's well i don't know it's one of those questions you know who'd you like to you know living or dead would you like to have dinner with um i don't know i never really gave it much thought it's captain george h mallon um captain George H. Mallon was a Medal of Honor recipient during World War I. Um, look him up. Very, very interesting guy, um, to say the least, but he, he, he might be fun. Okay, if you could change any one thing in the hobby with a magic wand, what would it be? Um, there's... Fortunately, I'm kind of in a place in both my gaming that I don't see it so much. But there is quite a bit of negativity and gatekeeping in other aspects of the hobby. And I, and I don't get why people gatekeep. Um, if I could wave a magic wand, it would, I would say to get it would be to do away with the gatekeeping. I can't stand it. Okay, what would you have told your younger self about gaming if you could? Um, the real young me was kind of a jerk when it came to games. Uh, I thought that winning was important, and while winning can be fun, it's it's you have a responsibility to the people that you're playing games with to make sure they're having fun also, and to make sure that you don't put them in situations where they can't win, and I was kind of a jerk that way. Um, with interpreting rules and designing scenarios so that basically there were no win situations for the person I was supposed to be GMing, but I saw it as gaming against. So that that would probably be that probably be it. Um, what is a period you want to get involved with but are not willing to? That's an interesting way to put it. Napoleonics. I'd like to do Napoleonics. The quite frankly, the the idea of painting uniforms puts me off. Um, the idea of having put in the work to do a game and then someone coming up saying, oh, that's not the right facing collar on the cuffs and, and that sort of thing. I, I, I'm probably projecting. I don't think that would actually happen. But just all those different uniforms and, you know, so many... I don't know, the idea, uh, and I've seen plenty of it online, I really haven't seen it in person, but people are getting bent out of shape about uniform specifics. It's just not where I want to go. Tell us about your favorite battlefield you've been to. Um, 
Gettysburg's pretty cool. Um, but I really, really like Fort Donelson. The cool thing about Donelson is, um, well, for one thing, you do you can get a good appreciation for Fort Henry and Fort Donelson. Okay, unfortunately, Fort Henry, uh, the site of Fort Henry got flooded when the Tennessee Valley Authority was established, and they built uh, and they built dams on the Tennessee River. And it got flooded, but you can get an appreciation for the entire campaign, the Fort Henry and Fort Donaldson campaign, in in a single day. Um, and then also the battle site or the Fort Donaldson, at least, is extremely well preserved, and uh, including significant portions of the uh, perimeter of the fort. And you can really get a good understanding or an appreciation of how the fort was in the town of Dover and Dover and the town of Dover was in the fort and vice versa and, and you can still see that because there are a number of buildings that were present during the battle that, that are still there and, it, and it's unique in that fashion it's not terribly spread out like many other uh, Civil War battlefields are it's relatively compact you can you can take all of it in at a leisurely pace in an afternoon. Um, I've done two staff rides there. Uh, we're looking to do another one there this year. Um, it's just, for someone who is not particularly well versed in the details of various battles of the Civil War, it's a great way to dip your toe into the study of it because it's not a particularly large battle. Uh, at least as far as the number of troops are concerned, I mean, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but it's definitely it's definitely worth looking at. Uh, so yeah, that would be that would be it for one that I visited. One that I haven't visited, all of them. You know, <laughs> um, there's just so many that I would like to see. Um, you know, I think you know if they could ever like a lot of the medieval battles. If they could ever, if they could ever pin down exactly where they were, that'd be great. Um, I guess if we're talking battles that are definitely known, um, I could stand to see Pea Ridge. I suppose um, I don't know much about what they've done to preserve it. Um, trying to think. Um, like see Agincourt, that'd be pretty, pretty cool. Um, Hastings, uh, you know, some if we're talking big, pivotal battles, uh, Hastings for sure. So, all right, um, okay, yeah. So that's that's it for John. Thanks, John, for your. For your continued support, I was just looking at the comments uh, on the very first track, and John was one of the first people to, to comment on the Veteran Wargamer when, when I first published. So John's been a friend of the show for a very long time, and far too long in getting, getting him on the show to, to talk. So we'll have, to, we'll have to talk again in the near future, John. Thank you. Speaking of someone I'd like to get on the show, and we just haven't been able to do it, Jonathan Reinhardt, host of Wargaming Recon, uh, 
You can follow him on Twitter at WarGamingRecon, one word. Um, he's got four questions, so... How do you successfully balance doing the show with all the other things you do? I would argue that if I go three months at a time without publishing and then publish eight episodes, or three episodes in eight days, I would not say I'm successfully balancing anything. Um, the, the show started out as every two weeks um, very much like clockwork and that worked and, and I, I think on some level it helped build my listenership because it was so regular um, and then it just I'm not going to say I've lost interest in doing the show I'm just less interested in being workmanlike about getting it out uh, if that makes sense um, so I would there's a there's a couple different factors that have gone into that. The first one was I realized I don't have to get it out every two weeks. I don't have to get it out on Thursday night every two weeks. And then, you know, I don't have to get it on Thursday night, turn into I don't have to get it on Friday either or over the weekend or, for that matter, every two weeks. And two weeks became, well, maybe I'll get it done in three weeks. Maybe I'll get it once a month to where we are now. And... On one level, I would like to do more often. I do like talking to the folks I talk to. Um, I'd like to think I've got some pretty interesting guests. I've got a lot of really neat episodes in the backlog. Um, and they're definitely worth investigating if, if you haven't already. If you're a newcomer to the podcast, I invite you to go listen to the backlog because there are some cool shows in there. Um, or what I think are really cool shows. And another thing was I realized that the podcast was becoming my hobby and not so much the wargaming aspect. So I'm trying to, and here I am, I'm recording. I had I had planned on doing some painting while I was talking, but that's just, I, I, it's not fair to ask questions like that and then be distracted with painting. So but anyway, um, yeah, just getting the podcast out is, you know, it was taken away from hobby time and. Uh, it was more important to me to, to keep painting. So um, another thing that happened was my father-in-law died coming up on two years ago. And a lot of non... a lot of unnecessary things went by the wayside for a while. And that included the podcast. So um, what was the impetus for creating your own show? I, you know, I just wanted to hear... I just wanted to hear a different perspective uh, on the hobby uh, from someone who's seen the elephant, so to speak. Uh, not because I'm some kind of authority necessarily, but there's a certain perspective that serving gives somebody that I, I didn't I didn't hear anyway. That's not to say that there aren't any other veterans that are podcasting. I just didn't hear it. And if someone wants to point me towards a pod, you know, a veteran podcaster who's, you know, talking about wargaming, let me hear it. I'd love to. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to, I, I wanted to make a show that I would want to listen to. And a couple things that came about, or a couple things that made me want to do it are I wanted a short show, an hour. You know, most of my episodes are around an hour. Some creep into 115, some are an hour and a half 
couple of them are two hours. You know, we've <laughs> we've got those certain people that that like to talk more than I do, and uh, and that's okay. But it it makes for good listening, I think. Uh, you can you can tell when I'm having fun on the show, and I hope that comes across. I wanted to have a show that was just about the topic at hand. I I didn't think it was necessary for me to tell you, you know, what I bought this week or what's currently on the on the uh, painting table and that sort of thing. You know, some some other folks talk about that. That's fine. Um, I always thought that it kind of pinned somebody into a particular time frame, and that episode would run the risk of becoming dated, if that makes sense. So for the most part, I think my podcasts are... Uh, this is kind of sounding kind of pretentious... Uh, timeless. I should say they're not stuck in a particular time. Now, I have spoken about gaming in relation to the COVID pandemic, but I think that that stands a better chance of putting the episode in context than, you know, pinning it to a particular time. Again, that sounds kind of pretentious, and I apologize for that. That's not my intent. Um, what keeps you going after these years of doing it? Well, I should I could ask you the same thing, Jonathan. Jeez, um, I just enjoy it. Like I said earlier, I like talking to the people. I like talking. You know, I like talking to the people that come on the show. I think that you know, I genuinely get interesting people to talk to, and I have fun doing it. So that's really what it comes down to. What is one topic or game you refuse to cover on the show? I don't think I have a topic that I would refuse to cover. I'm I'm leaning further away from the big manufacturers or even what you might call the mid-majors. So your Games Workshop, I'm not going to talk about Games Workshop for the most part except in a in an old hammer context from here on out. I, I'm just there's plenty of other people that talk about GW and I will admit they make great products. For the most part they're not for me. Um, there's just not anything that I find interesting anymore. I will talk about Games Workshop in an old hammer context. Um, you're probably not going to hear me talking about what I consider to be the mid-majors. Your Privateer, Press, or Warlord. Primarily because, again, there are other podcasts that are, that are doing that. So if we're talking about manufacturers or rules writers, I'm, I'm going to talk about the independents. I want to be a champion for the independent miniatures company. I want to be an in- uh, I want to be a champion for the independent rules writer, you know, the small-time folks, you know, the folks that have one or two people working for them and that's it. Um, you know, when it comes to rules, we're talking, you know, we're talking the two fat lardies. For miniatures, we're talking folks like Peter Barry at Bacchus or Andy Norman at Bad Squiddo, and I'd love to have, you know, I've had all of them that I just mentioned on the show, except for Annie. I'd love to have Annie on the show sometime. Um, so, Annie, if you're listening, um, you know, I, there's not a lot I won't talk about. And I'm not going to say I would avoid talking about the stuff necessarily. It's just not where I'm going to go. Um, I think there are some uncomfortable topics that we should talk about. Um, I, I, I think if I can find the right person to talk to about it, I would I definitely think that there needs to be a talk about 
what we portray and how we portray it in our games. I am somewhat uncomfortable with the fetishization of the SS and to a lesser degree the Wehrmacht uh, here in Luftwaffe in Kriegsmarine um, in World War II games. Um, but again, that, that's another topic to get into later. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's really what it... Again, there's nothing I would refuse to talk about. There are things that I would probably lean further away from. But I don't think it's a thing I would, anything I would refuse to talk about. So great questions, Jonathan. Thank you very much. And, and uh, I appreciate you continuing to produce Wargaming Recon. It's definitely a labor of love. I mean, for crying out loud, when you can't do it, you get other people to host for you to keep that... <laughs> to keep your production schedule going so that that says a lot so thank you for that okay next up is a real life in real life friend matt booker matt and i have known each other for oh gosh at least 16 years now um we're coming up on 16 anyway we're coming up on 17 actually um yeah yeah, because January, yeah, January 2004, we would have met. So, anyway, January, February, somewhere in there. Matt asks, via Facebook, Did you play games much with your family as a kid? And if so, do you have a particular memory that you'd like to share? Um, I did play games as a kid with my family. Um, mostly with my brother, Chris. Um, and... Few games here and there. I remember playing uh, Monopoly with my cousin David and other cousins. Um, the less said about Monopoly, the better. Um, now, playing with my brother, I, I've talked in the past about taking the board from the Scotland Yard game and the figures and combat resolution from Axis and Allies and doing kind of a London street fight game with my brother um, but that Scotland Yard game gave rise to an incident where oh I was probably 9 or 10 and I had some kind of a Lego submersible bathysphere or something like that or maybe it was like a space spaceship thing that I made into a submersible in my mind anyway and we were playing Scotland Yard I was the role of I had taken the role of the criminal and I was talking all about how I was using this thing to get around London, man. Ooh, you can't catch me. And then, of course, I got caught because I kept moving from place to place along the Thames River using the water routes because, you know, I was dumb and didn't understand the concept of operational security. So <laughs> I hadn't thought about that for a while until you mentioned a memory of a particular memory, Matt. So thanks for that. Matt also asked, what was your first complex tabletop game? Um, yeah, I'm going to say Warhammer 40,000 Rogue Trader. Um, if anyone anyone that's ever tried playing it knows that it is not, it's not a simple game by any means. I guess it is at its core it's a simple game, but they have so much different layers of chrome added onto it that it can be, you can get yourself bogged down pretty quickly if you, if you let it. Um, but I, I love it. I, let me rephrase it. I guess I love the aesthetic 
and I love the feeling, the nostalgia feeling that it gives me. Um, and it's not terribly different from the latest editions of Warhammer 40,000. It's just got all that chrome that uh, newer editions don't have. And, and some complexity, you know, like vehicles having turning radiuses and that sort of thing. And the points, oh, the points, you could point, you could individually point stat anything you wanted. So there, you know, you could, you could bring anything on the table and you'd spend a good deal of time uh, coming up with the stats, but it was, it was possible. Oh, Matt also asked, what pop culture property would you like to see a tabletop game designed around? Um, I don't know. It, there are certain shows that I like. Um, I just don't know how, what, how good of a game it would be. I don't know. Star Wars is already something. Star Trek is already something. I mean, those are my two, my two big IPs that I'm a fan of. And here's the thing: I'm I'm not a typical, you know, I, I don't get so far into an IP like that, like Star Trek Within Limits. You know, I, I'm I I don't particularly like the new gen next generation. You know, I don't particularly like any of the shows. I mean, original series I love. And the rest of it I could take or leave. Um, most of the movies I could take or leave. I am a big fan of Wrath of Khan, who's not. Um, and then Star Wars. You know, I'm a big fan of the original trilogy. I'm a big fan of The Mandalorian. Um, and there's already IP uh, games for Star Wars as well. Yeah, the original trilogy, The Mandalorian, Rogue Tra uh, Rogue One, not Rogue, I almost said Rogue Trader, uh, Rogue One uh, is a good is a good Star Wars movie. People back on Solo, I liked Solo, um, but you know, again, we've already got game for that. Um, there is a Dune tabletop game. Um, I guess I would love to see official Dune miniatures based on the David Lynch visualization. Um, a friend of mine and I actually started comparing and contrasting and figuring out what would work for different, you know, in 28 millimeter, uh, you know, for different Dune factions. Um, the Fremen would be easily uh, represented by the original Necromunda Van Sar gangers. Um, the Atreides in their dress uniforms could easily be handled by the uh, Mordian, the original metal Mordian uh, figures. And that's pretty much where we stopped. Uh, Sardaukar, you know, from that from that visualiz visualization would not be that easy. Same with the Harkonnens. So I would like to, yeah, there it is. I would like to see someone do officially licensed miniatures for Dune, based on the uh, based on the David Lynch visualization, I know you said a tabletop game, but um, so the the Dune board game is a classic that came out uh, in the late seventies, early eighties from Avalon Hill, and it's well, very well regarded in uh, board gaming circles. It was recently re-released um, as Rex 
from I think it was Fantasy Flight uh, using the same mechanisms but non IP infringing. It was I believe they used their Twilight Imperium IP for that, and then Gale Force Nine. Uh, I believe it was Gale Force 9, redid the Dune board game with the proper IP and everything. And I almost picked it up this past weekend, but decided not to because, well, to be quite frank, I'd already spent a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of money on that shopping trip and another 50 bucks just wasn't in the cards. But yeah, so that's it. Dune, miniatures game, that would be it. That'd be cool. Oh! This is a great question. What's the strangest game mechanic you've ever come across, and was it good? I'm going to tell you two, Matt. Um, the first is a relatively straightforward um, straightforward mechanism. It's from... I forget if it's Stargrunt or if it's Dirt Side, both of which are available from Ground Zero Games. You can get either of them as a free PDF download off the Ground Zero Games website. Uh, link in the show notes. And the way it handled airborne or air inserted or drop, you know, drop troops, whatever term you want to use, was you would take a numbered or lettered chit representing a particular unit and place it on the back, the flat side of a ruler. And then you would hold the ruler above the table and the, the distance from the table that you held the ruler, you know, parallel, of course, to the surface with the counters on top that you know that affected how effective any anti-aircraft fire would be so the higher up the ruler was the less effective anti-aircraft fire would be and then the lower the more effective but what you would do is you would hold it above the above the table and then you would tip the ruler over and then wherever the chits landed that's where they actually landed on the table, and that's where you would place the units. Now, here's the rub. If the chit was face up, the unit landed with no problems. If the chit was face down, uh, they had some problems on the drop, and they stood a chance of being damaged or destroyed. I thought that was pretty cool. So the lower you were, the less likely the units would be scattered, but the more likely they would take fire from from any aircraft and the higher up the safer they were from any aircraft but the more likely they would be scattered I thought that was fantastic the other rule is from and I'm actually going to look it up to make sure I get the I think it was Victory Games that let's see okay okay the game is called NATO the next war in Europe it was published in 1983 by Victory Games and it had it's it's a game about uh, as you can as you can well guess it's conflict between the Warsaw Pact and NATO in Europe you know Red Storm Rising time frame all that good stuff and the rule was that if you ever got into a if you ever got into the conflict and there was and you opted for a nuclear exchange you were to take the board soak it in lighter fluid and put put a cigarette lighter to it (laughs) and that would be you know pretty 
pretty uh, representative of what would happen in, in that sort of thing. So <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was pretty neat. So um, unfortunately, I sold it or traded it or something. I wish I still had it, but anyhow, that's that's that. So okay, Matt, thanks very much. Uh, for that um, we'll have to get together in real life and, and play something sometime continuing on Ty Lun via Facebook asked I played WRG 6th edition for about 4 years and have many fond memories and stories about that period of my life what rule set do you remember fondly and can you share some of your memorable game stories from that period in your life I, I kind of have a soft spot for the time when I was at Fort Bragg in the Army and um, second edition 40k or 40k second edition however you want to put it was was the game uh, and I I've I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast before but I've I've written about it but uh, I I had a Gene Stealer Cult army, and of course, being Gene Stealer Cult, I had plenty of Gene Stealers. There, <laughs> there was an Eldar player, and I won't say his name. I don't remember his last name anyway, but um, I'll just call him his first name, Dave. And he had just finished painting a unit of... Uh, warp spiders. Now the warp spiders are a unit where they can literally warp into an area of the battlefield, shoot some basically area effect weapons, and then move away. All in the same turn. So pretty powerful. Um, very rules breaky. There aren't many other units that can do something like that. So I had a uh, so it was a I don't remember how big the game was. I, I barely remember how the rest of the game went. I just remember that, you know, I had a unit of fear strain gene stealers, basically in the open. I shouldn't have left them where they were, but that's how it goes. He warps in his warp spiders, fires at them. Now the weapons that they fired, you could avoid them by basically rolling a saving throw based on your initiative. Well, at the time, a gene stealer's initiative was seven, so. Basically, all I had to do is roll a 7 or less on a d6 for each model. Well, that wasn't too terribly hard. And so they all missed. And I forget exactly what phase of the turn that they were supposed to be able to warp out, but he gets through, done with all of his shooting, gets done with all of his hand-to-hand combat, and maybe it was worded like at the end of the turn or something like that. Um... Gets through the psychic phase and says, Alright, it's your turn. Might say, Are you sure you're done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah, I'm done. It's your turn. You're positive. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Alright, alright, alright. But in that version of 40k, the first thing you did was to declare any charges. Well, if his warp spiders were within basically flamethrower range of the gene stealers, then the gene stealers were definitely within charge range of the war spiders. And with that, I said, these gene stealers are going to charge the war spiders. And that's when Dave's jaw dropped. 
you know, you could physically see the color drain through his face. You know, in proper fashion, any freshly painted unit will die horribly in its first time on the table. And that's just how it is. And for the rest of the game, if Dave wasn't actively rolling dice or moving figures, he was leaning against a doorway watching a game in another room. <laughs> it was... Oh, I... And Dave wasn't a bad guy, you know, but, you know, he left that opportunity open, so I, I took it, so. <laughs> Plenty of other fun stories like that. Um, the the Gene Stealer cult list um, allowed for them to have looted rhinos, and there was a particular type of hybrid that you could you could outfit every single one of the hybrids in a unit with a flamer and there was a strategy card called flank march which would allow you to bring a unit in on one of the sides of the table you know keep in mind that at the time you know 40k was uh, i line up my guys on yours on one side and you line up your guys on the other and they just go at it and so i would i would invest a significant amount of points in having you know a, a, a rhino full of <laughs> Gene Steel hybrids armed with flamers on the off chance of getting the flank march card and being able to come on the side and uh, basically just storm through the rear area of my opponent you know, shooting flamers out the back of a rhino. <laughs> um, and actually, it was in one of those second edition games. I've got a photograph somewhere where I rolled... Uh, rolled the dice out. I don't even remember how many dice I rolled, but one of the dice in my hand raised, uh, the die stopped on a corner. And I've got a photograph somewhere of that die just stopped on the corner. And that's actually happened to me twice in my life, but I definitely remember that first time. So, Ty, thanks for the question. That's a good one. I was like uh, reminiscing about oh, geez, that's at least 24, 25 years ago when that happened. Wow. Okay. All right. Mac McIntyre, also via Facebook. Uh, what is your absolute favorite era to game? And he says maybe two. What is your favorite all-time game to play? Favorite era? I, I guess by default I'd say science fiction, but that's such a wide... That's such a wide possibility. I mean, because you've got everything from space opera and space fantasy to hard sci-fi and everything in between. But yeah, I'll say sci-fi. I really like sci-fi games. There's, you know, being able to basically go unfettered and just go wherever your imagination takes you. I think there's a there's a certain appeal to that for me. If I'm gonna say historical era, right now, you know, anyone's been looking at my Twitter feed or listening to the last couple episodes I'm, I'm definitely into late medieval early renaissance yeah i need to actually get some games in well i've had i guess i've had some games with fistful of lead but i want to get some into some bigger games but um yeah early late renaissance early medieval want to get them land stacks going so uh favorite all-time game to play um I did have a lot of fun, or I have I have had a lot of fun with 
second edition Warhammer 40,000. Um, but it, it's hard to beat. It's hard to beat Commands and Colors of, of any stripe, especially. Oh. I like the, ch and I've said this before, I like the challenge that Napoleonics offers, but I like how easy Ancients is to teach to new players. Um, even people that never played a, a tabletop war game before. So, yeah, Commands and Colors, uh, you know, and I'm, well, I'm basing, <laughs> basing my uh, late medieval, early Renaissance games on Commands and Colors. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, I would say that that's, that's the case, so. Oh, friend of the show, Simon Tonkis, via Facebook. What project is currently on the shelf that you really should get restarted? It's the ACW. I really need to do something with that. Oh, but it's also the 15mm sci-fi. and <laughs> There's a couple different things going, Simon, that I need to get back into. Um, I'm really pushing hard with my... Uh, well, the skirmish actions in Brandburg, and then also the big battles with commands and colors. So that is an ongoing thing. Um, but restarted, definitely ACW six mil. Um, definitely my fifteen millimeter sci-fi. Long ongoing. Uh, should probably should probably get back into the six millimeter ancients also again with commands and colors, but that's okay. Um, and there's just so many um, this 15mm sci-fi has so many opportunities uh, a couple of friends of mine uh, Joel Franklin who's been on the show before and uh, Chris Copeland have, have been working with uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, John Isbrand on a uh, Chain of Command sci-fi variant which is hard sci-fi, and so I'd like to do something with that. Um, what a space tanker! You know, I got I got a good response from What a Space Tanker when I took it to recruits last year. I want to do some more stuff with that. I've got some ideas on integrating infantry and lighter vehicles, anti-tank guns, that sort of thing. Uh, maybe even walkers, uh, mecha type stuff into it. Um, I know people say, well, if you want to have infantry game, just play Chain of Command. Well, yeah, but Chain of Command is not exactly friendly to a novice gamer, and I'm looking to run these games with either people that, you know, in, basically in a convention setting, whether it's J3, and I treat J3 games like convention games because they're people that I see once, maybe twice a year. We don't have the opportunity to play the same games or the same rules multiple times so you really got to have something that people can can get stuck into in a relatively short amount of time and um, what a tanker is that game man it's you can get on that and again it's something you can teach somebody that has never played a, a tabletop war game before whether a board or miniatures game and you can get them in the action relatively quickly um, it's it is a little bit more challenging it is a little bit more challenging primarily due to the dice based activation but it's not you know it's not impossible 
um, there's way there are ways to mitigate some of that uh, with what a space tanker the way I do it is if a player rolls any doubles uh, he or she can turn that double into a single die of their choice so you know the classic great I, I just rolled three reloads you know um, that gives you an opportunity to do something uh, you know take two of those reloads turn them into a you know turn them in, into a drive if you have to and it mitigates some of that because that could be frustrating for a new player um, don't get me wrong I love the game I get what they're trying to do with the dice but with but with you know the, the possibility of you know all six of your dice and rolling multiple reloads when you can't use them all or multiple aims or multiple you know multiple target acquisitions when you're you know in the center of a wooded area with no targets anywhere near you that that can be frustrating so yeah, we do mitigate that a little bit. Um, I, like I said, I do have some ideas on how to integrate infantry into it. I need to do a little bit of work on that. Spoiler alert, their dice activations different than vehicles. But um, So yeah, that um, some, and that's, that's something that uh, definitely needs to, to come to the fore because we've got some big ideas for that. Um, Simon, I do want to talk to you about some project management for my ongoing uh, Renaissance project. So keep an eye open on your on your DMs, buddy. And oh, and happy birthday! Simon's birthday was today. So I sent him a message and well responded. And I, so happy birthday to Simon if you see him. Okay, Chris Robinson, also via Facebook, asks, any, are any top faves episodes in the pipeline? Um, I've talked to Nick. Nick's ready to do another one. Uh, I've not reached out to Dave. Uh, I'll have to see where, where he is on the possibility of doing another top fave. I love doing the top faves. Dave's one of my favorite guests. Um, just super, super funny. Uh, the top faves are, you know, I mentioned earlier in this episode, they're a bunch of, you know, you can definitely tell when I'm having fun. You can definitely tell when I'm having fun on a top fave episode, which is all the time, because Dave's just so funny and dry. Um, Nick's funny, too, and sometimes even more dry. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I like the interplay that we have between the three of us. Um, all being veterans, I think that helps, but... Um, no, well, if, if you've got an idea for for an episode or a topic that we could tackle, let, let me know. You know, uh, we're always looking for new ideas, and we'll we'll go from there, and we'll see what happens. Uh, for any of your projects, is there one thing you'd wish someone would make? Um, you know, I'd like to see maybe like Lons Connect camp followers I think that'd be some those would be some fun figures to have I'd like to see some late medieval early renaissance slash Tudor civilians not just camp followers but like urban civilians um, I'm wanting to do you know some skirmishy games in in the city of Brandberg uh, or I have been doing some but I'd like to do more um, I'd like to play around with like some of the concepts that the Gangs of Rome game 
have as far as like interacting in an urban space with groups of civilians. I think there's some there's some fun stuff to do there, and so that would that would require some civilian figures for sure. Um, and there's some out there, and there's some figures out there that uh, scattered around. And I guess me in a semi fantasy slash imagination setting, I can get away with a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more leeway in how the figures are dressed and equipped. So I, 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 I'm sure some folks make stuff for that. I just need to be a little bit more. I need to open my eyes and get pointed in the right direction. I saw that WizKids has like a in their pre-primed line. They've got a uh, like a town mayor and it's like some type of tradesman. I forget what, but I, I've looked at that at getting that blister. I'm like. I still might, but well, that's it. Though those are the questions that were asked. I hope I satisfactorily answered your questions. Um, where we're going to go from here for the podcast? I, well, I can tell you that we are going to continue. Um, I'm looking to do some top faves, or at least a top fave in the near future. Like I said, I got to talk to Dave, see what he's up to, see if he's interested. Um, I am looking forward to a stump J, so we'll see how things go there. Um, yeah, I, we're gonna keep talking to people. I've got some feelers out. There's, uh, I have talked to someone about talking about medieval games or games set in the medieval era. So we'll have to see, uh, get our get our schedules lined up and to make that happen. So. I really enjoy making the show. I really enjoy talking to the people that agree to come on. Um, I enjoy interacting with you on the listener on Facebook and Twitter. Please keep that going. Um, again, man, 70,000 downloads. That's that's astounding to me. I, I never thought four years ago when this kicked off that I'd get to the point where there were 70,000 downloads and now 63 episodes. That's amazing and humbling and extremely gratifying to know that y'all are still wanting to listen to this so I appreciate that um, I'm recording this on the third laptop that I've used for the show um, just got it recently it's my it's a MacBook Pro uh, I'm really enjoying it got it a couple weeks ago it's the first really nice computer I've got for myself in a long time um, keep sending me questions you know keep sending me leads on stuff that you think are cool or stuff that you think I might like and we'll go from there send me ideas for shows you know if there's something you want to hear let me know uh, I'm a, my life's a pretty open book if you have questions about me about my hobby uh, you know let me know don't be afraid to ask I, I don't have to have a Q&A session to answer these questions so fire away um, yeah uh, I, I hope to get more gaming in uh, and I, I, hopefully I'll be less lazy and because I do have some big ideas for some games and I do want to see them come to fruition I'm actually surprised I've been as disciplined as I have been with my Brandberg project Totentance you know whatever term you want to use uh 
for as long as I have this year. So yeah, I'm gonna keep doing that, and I'm enjoying it and having fun, and that's what it's about. If you're not having fun, then you know, hey, it's it's like my my ending tagline, right? So uh, keep challenging me. You know, like I said, if there's something you want to hear, let me know. If there's something you don't want to hear any further, let me know that too. You know, give me the feedback. How am I doing? You know, in your opinion, is the show what it, what you'd like to hear, or is there something that else that you'd like to hear that I'm not doing? Let me know. I, I like that feedback. It it's very gratifying to provide feedback as a as a podcaster. You know, I try to provide feedback to the podcasters that I like also, and. You know, it's it's not. You know, it's one thing to like a, a tweet or even comment on it, but you know, provide solid feedback. You know, I thought that your sound quality kind of sucked there. What was going on there? Hey, let me know, the good and the bad. You know, I'm, I've got my thick skin on most of the time, so just don't be abusive. <laughs> no. Folks, it's been fun. I, I really appreciate the the questions that everyone sent in. Uh, this is this is fun um, I don't think I'll do it more often than once a year so <laughs> in regards to how many so four episodes from now I'll do another one <laughs> I, I should be getting back to a more regular schedule I hope but we'll just see how it goes I'm not going to hold myself to any particular standard in that regard but anyway I have rattled on long enough at this point. So, on that note, as always, if the wargaming you're having isn't any fun, you make it fun. That is all. The Veteran Wargamer is copyright J. Arnold 2020. Music Atlantica 5. Speed Limit 35. Courtesy of freemusicarchive.org.